0: Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Well, every year, unlike Marshall at the NCAA tournament, every year something happens to me. The state of Ohio asks me to do one thing every year. And every year, it's the same thing. And it actually happens at the same time every year, over and over and over, ever since um, you know probably the last 20 years or so. And that is to renew my car registration. You guys all know how to do that, right? They even send me a reminder now, which I love. You get the letter in the mail. It's like, would you like to do this by mail so you can skip going to the BMV, which always sounds like a great idea, right? Because, uh, boy, that place is nothing short of two hours of waiting. So um, they send it to me in the mail to remind me that I have this option. And every year, the same thing happens to me year after year. I get that piece of mail. I put it on my desk. And I look at it. I think about it. I go on and do something else, and I see it the next day, and I think about it, and I do something else. And every day I would drive by, typically the BMV, and think, you know, I should stop in today, swing in, just renew my registration real quick, and ah, I just, I, I'll do it tomorrow. Over and over, I tell myself, I'm busy. I'll just do it tomorrow. And I repeat this until I find myself dodging police officers to not see that my tags are expired. <laughs> and you might be wondering, why do i do that like what i mean this is year after year i'm 35 years old now why do i do that and you might be thinking well maybe he is super busy maybe he really actually doesn't have the actual minutes it takes to fill out a piece of paper and mail it in in january so that he can get his tags back maybe you think that i don't have the actual minutes to do that or i don't have time to stop in and um that's not really true or maybe you think I'm just a knucklehead with no discipline. That's probably closer to the truth. <laughs> the reason I mismanage my time is the same reason people mismanage their money. It's the same pe- reason people mismanage their relationships. It's the same, people, same reason people mismanage their health or mismanage their career or mismanage their priorities. It's what psychologists call the scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset. And the scarcity mindset goes like this, that whatever resource that you think you need, whatever the resource is, your mind is telling you, I don't have enough of it. That's called the scarcity mindset. And every person in this room is affected in some way shape or form in some resource capacity with a scarcity mindset it could be a scarcity of money it could be scarcity of time it could be scarcity of safety maybe you have concerns for yourself could be scarcity of health or scarcity of food or whatever it may be you have a lot of different things could be scarcity of relationships or scarcity of love each of us Through faults and failures, disappointments and hurts, difficulties and trials of life, develop different ways in which we approach life with a scarcity mindset. And this scarcity mindset is not just an unfortunate experience in life. It actually does something really powerful to you. It affects you greatly. The first thing it does is scarcity mindset narrows your time frame to the immediate. Whenever you're scarce on something, whether it's time or money or food, it brings you to the immediate here and now. And you stop thinking about the future. You stop planning for long-term priorities and you make emergency decisions. Everything is urgent. Nothing really is important. Everything becomes intense and extreme. And the second thing that scarcity mindset does is it forces you into constantly thinking about trade-offs. Because if you're limited on your resource, if it's time or money or food or love or respect, whatever it may be, if you're limited on that resource, you're going to be backed into a corner of constantly making trade-offs. If I'm too busy, to, if, I, if my time is too busy, I've got to make trade-offs. I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do that. If you have a limited amount of money, you got to do this and not do that. You're always making trade-offs. But the thing that happens in scarcity mindset is not just focusing on the here and now or being backed into the corner of trade-offs, but what happens, unfortunately, when we have scarcity of our minds is we make really poor, impulsive decisions. It's strange how it works, but it's unfortunate. And so... When we think that we don't have enough time, we end up putting off things like renewing our license plate, which end up costing us more time, right? Because then I have to finally go sit at the BMV. Or if we don't have enough money, we end up ignoring the bill that's come in and not wanting to deal with it. And so we put that off, and it ends up getting worse with late fees. If we think we don't have enough respect, we'll dive into overworking or maybe underworking or begging for respect. If we find ourselves scarce for love will over promise to people or will draw away we begin to make poor choices side note scarcity mindset is the thing that gives sales at retail such power did you know that it, when you the reason they put sales out there on a particular time a particular place is to drive you to this thought that if i don't buy this now it will never be available again that scarcity drives you into decisions Another fun side note, scarcity mindset is what makes Family Feud so funny. They give scarcity of time, which makes people make really poor choices, and they give really funny answers because they can't think straight. It's kind of funny. So next time you uh, watch Family Feud, you can think about scarcity. Sorry, I ruined it for you. But what makes scarcity worse and worse in your thinking is the more you feel demands upon you. The more you feel... Demands being placed upon you, the more scarcity takes hold and it gets worse. You know what this feels like to be surrounded by people or surrounded by things that are constantly taking from you. Maybe it's surrounded by people and they're always wanting your time. Maybe you're at work and everyone's wanting five minutes of your time and it gets frustrating, right? You start to just want to hold on to your time and get people away from you. Or maybe it's bills piling up in your house and there are all these demands placed upon your money and you start to just. Get into worse and worse thinking. You see, the more we feel like demands are placed upon us, the more our scarcity thinking increases. Now, why would I tell you all of this? Here's why. Because I'm trying to drill down into the very center of why we don't give liberally to God. Why don't we? And it comes back to scarcity. And there's two things that really drive this. The first one is this, that we might have a belief that we don't have enough to give to God, that we are limited in our resources, our finances, and we don't have the ability to give to God. And the second reason is this, not just that we don't have enough, but I'm troubled by the second reason also, that we have a belief that God is just another taker in our life and not a giver. You see, when you view God as a taker, not a giver, you will view your money from a scarcity mindset that you've got to hoard and hold on to and not be willing to give. Our text today is going to dismantle, destroy the thinking that both A, you don't have enough because the Bible says you do, and two, B, that God is just a taker because that's not who he is. I want to work on both of those. Let's start with the first one is this. The first thing for us to become generous people, for us to become these people who are willing to share and willing to give, we've got to understand, first of all, God's principle. You see there in our passage in verse uh, 6, he lays out this eternal principle. He says, you know this principle. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever um, uh, sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And And the principle is this that what you sow is what you're going to reap back. If you sow sparingly, you will reap back sparingly. But the principle is this, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Now this seems a little bit counterintuitive to our scarcity mindset, right? Because you would think for us to have more, we need to give less. Because if you use arithmetic, 10, Minus 1 equals 9, right? But 10 minus 0 equals 10. So from a mathematics standpoint, for me to have more, I should give less and keep more. That's how it makes sense. But God does not work on the principle of hoarding. He works in the principle of harvest. And that's much different. That's a different kind of thinking. You see, the principle of harvest has two key ideas. And the first one is this. That whatever you sow, you have to release. You can't sow if you don't release. The sower, the farmer, has to give away his seed. He has to lose that seed. So when he goes out to get ready for uh, to plant his seed, he knows that that seed in his hand will no longer be in his hand, and he must get rid of it, and it will not return to him as that seed ever again. It's gone. And the same is true with the giver. You've got to come to terms with this principle that when you sow financially or of your time or of your energy, whatever you sow, you have to release that. It's no longer yours and it will not come back to you in the same form. But the second thing is true about harvest. Principle one is whatever you sow, you've got to release. But principle two is this. Whatever you sow, you will reap. You will get that back. Yes, this is true of money it's also true of everything else just think about it in your life if you sow resentment you're gonna have relationships full of resentment if you sow affirmation and love you're gonna surround yourself with relationships of affirmation and love if you're sowing in your life things like respect and dignity for others that stuff starts to come back to you but the truth about sowing and reaping is not just that when you sow you reap but when you sow you reap in abundance it is not a one-to-one ratio when you sow. When you plant corn, that one seed, that kernel of corn grows into thousands of kernels. When you sow, that one seed of a tomato plant it brings forth many tomatoes. The ratio is not one-to-one, it's much more. And that's true of all that when we sow, we reap in abundance. So you've got to understand, first of all, God's principle that what you sow is what you're going to reap for you to become generous. But the second thing, for you to become generous, you're not just going to have to understand God's principle. You're going to have to trust God's promise. He made a promise to you. And the promise is in verse 11. I want you to see it. This is the promise that he makes. And he says it not with any sort of contingencies. He says it with great certainty. And he's going to press on you as a Christian to ask you if you really believe this promise or not. And here's the promise. God's promise is that you will have everything you need to be generous. No qualifiers. No contingencies. No escape clauses. God isn't shy about this. He doesn't blink and flinch. He says, you will have enough to be generous. Without a doubt. Listen to verse 11. You will be, he says, enriched. That means filled up to abundance. Completely full. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous. That's his promise. But you've got to trust that promise. And the question is, do you? Now, God doesn't just leave you hanging there with his big, bold promise saying, I want you to believe me. He actually gives you reasons to trust him. This text is going to show you. It starts with, first of all, here's the first reason to trust him. He says his power. Go back with me to verse 8. Listen what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. He says that he has an unstoppable, unquenchable, cannot be overcome. kind of power. God has that. You see, he has the kind of power that can make all grace. Now, the word grace is referring to the earthly blessings that it takes to be generous. The actual earthly blessings. Yes, the money it takes. Yes, the time it takes. Yes, the other resources that it takes to be generous. He says that he has the power and the ability to make all the grace that you need All the earthly blessings abound in abundant supply. He says you have all sufficiency for all things at all times. In fact, in this short passage, the word all and the word every is used eight times. He wants you to know that you have everything, all things, at all times, for all good works for you to be able to do. He makes that available to you because he has that kind of power. But the second reason he wants you to trust him is this, that he offers you some proof look down in verse 10 in verse 10 he's going to anchor back to this ancient truth which is this that it is God who supplies the seed to the sower and it is God who takes that seed and makes it into the bread for the consumer he's saying don't you remember where did the very first seed come from if you're going to plant a garden this year at your house or if you're going to just plant something flowers Where are you going to get that seed? Are you going to make it in your kitchen? Create it? In fact, even in the times in which we live today where we have genetically modified foods, the people who make genetically modified foods and seeds don't make their own seeds. They plant plants into the ground and they modify those plants. And when those plants grow, they harvest seeds. Nobody makes seeds. Nobody. It's God who provided the seed. And he takes that seed and he allows it to be turned into bread for the consumer. Seeds we don't create. We harvest them. And God provided the first seed. He put it into the earth. He created the laws of reaping and sowing. He created the system that upholds this year after year after year, season after season for this to happen. God did this. He is the giver, the ultimate giver. You see, giving is the first and most frequent act you see God doing in his, in his existence. Giving is the thing that God does over and over and over. And what he's trying to do is saying, listen, God will supply everything you need. You can trust this because it's in his nature to constantly give, always as priority. But there's a third reason you can trust why God will provide everything you need. Not just because he has the power to do it or that he's proven that he's the one who does it. But he actually wants you to know his purpose. Now here's why this should give you some trust. What does God provide us all of this enrichment for? Why does God promise to give us abundance in enriching us? What does he promise all this for? Look in verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God flows Massive amounts of resources to those who are willing to do good work. Look down in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply, now listen to this phrase, and multiply your seed. God is going to multiply, not one plus one, but five times five and ten times ten. He's going to multiply your seed for what reason? For sowing. For sowing. God multiplies our resources, our seed, financially, all these other reasons, all these other resources we have so that we can become people who sow in greater abundance. That's what he does this for. You see, God gives all that we need and beyond so that we can abound in good works and be people who are bountiful in our sowing. That's what he does, and he promises to enrich us and all that we would need to become generous people. Now, you might be sitting here saying, I'm not sure I actually have enough. And God doesn't promise to actually give us all that we need for our wants, but we can abound in good works most certainly. And you might be thinking, well, I don't have enough not just for my wants, but for my needs. And so God says he can provide all and he enriches us. Are you sure about that? And as you're a Christian and a member of the body here at Pickerington, I want you to hear this. You have enough and you may push back and say hey wait a minute Anthony I don't have enough I'm not sure how I'm going to feed my family this week or I'm not sure about this particular um, bill to be able to live in my house I'm not sure I have enough here's what I'm telling you with all confidence unshakable confidence you have enough and here's how I know it because if you're a member of the body of Christ the body of Christ will take care of you I have seen this over And over and over in this family here. I know without a doubt you have enough because this family will help. And if you have a need, that's what this family is for. We take care of each other. So when God promises, I know you'll have enough. He's speaking not just that he'll rain something down into your mailbox and you'll see it tomorrow. He's speaking tangibly through the church he'll provide. And yes, Christian, you have enough. So we've got to understand God's principle if we're going to become generous. We've got to trust his promise. But ultimately, you and I, if we're going to become generous, we have to become God's people. We've got to become his person, the kind of person God wants us to be. And there's two things that shape God's person. There's two things that sort of develop us into being the generous person that God wants us to be. And the first one is this. It's how you think about giving. It's what you think about giving. What do you think about giving? And really, this passage shows us there's only two ways to approach the way you think about your giving. In verse 6 and verse 7, pardon me, says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, Or under compulsion but as a cheerful giver here's your two options there's only two ways that you can give option one is this you give because god is a taker so you come to church and you're a christian you're under this obligation you say okay listen i know the tax of what it takes to be a christian so I show up and I know I've got to put something in the plate. And God has this expectation on, my, on me. He demands my prayers. He demands my Bible readings. He demands some time of service. He demands that I show up and hear and worship. And he also demands that when I'm here, I give money. Because he's a taker. And people who give because God is a taker, give reluctantly and under compulsion. And people that view God as just a taker of their stuff, give this way. But when we think this way, we'll never become the kind of generous person God wants us to be. The other option is this. He calls it a cheerful giver. We give because God is the first giver. That word cheerful, yes, it does mean happy. Literally means just to be happy person, to be excited about it. It actually invokes this idea of being ready to give because you're already prepared to do so. There's not this reluctance or this worry like, will I have enough? It's that you have abundant supply and out of your supply you are so excited because you've dedicated that part of your supply to be able to contribute to something. It's the difference between having money to buy a car and borrowing too much money to buy a car. You know that feeling when you're standing in the car a lot and you're like, oh man, I really want this car but I'm really not sure I should buy it. And you got this like, okay, I'll sign. You know, And you sign, you know that next... 60 months that money's gonna you know be coming out of your bank account and you're like worried about it. That's not a cheerful giver. But that person who's worked hard and saved up and you know they've got this money, they say, okay, I'm ready to buy this because I've got enough money to buy this. That's a cheerful person, an eager person. Cheerful giving is based upon you being blessed and it's being excited to share. And you and I have to really challenge ourselves the way we think about giving. Do we give because God is just a taker or do we give because he's a giver? Now the second thing you got to think about when it, what it takes to become God's person is not just how you think about giving but also what you hope to receive. What do you hope to receive? Now when you go back to this principle, what you reap is what you, or what you sow is what you reap. Sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. So bountifully, you reap bountifully what do you hope to receive when you think about that principle you see people have misused this passage for years let me try to draw a illustration uh, with my words of what this looks like typically how people see this is they see themselves sort of at the top of the, at the top of a circle and they're standing there they've got their money and if they give their money to all of God's work that God will give back to them more money And they apply this principle, if you reap, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. So if I give a little, God will give me back a little. But if I give a lot, God will give me a lot. And what they're hoping to receive is sort of an increase on their investment, right? A return on their investment. You give, and you give money, and in return, God gives you the money. And the problem with that is you are at the center of that analogy, You are the creator of the seed, the supplier of the seed, and you invest that seed in hopes that it will return more to you. And in that scenario, you take all the risk, and you want all the reward. I mean, that's how it works like in your investments for retirement. The money is in your possession, and you say, Okay, where am I going to put this? Because I want it to bring me a greater return than what I've put in. And we've used sometimes God in that way. So we say, I'd like for my wealth to increase. So if I, God says, if I sow abundantly, he's going to bring back more. But there's a different way to think about that. Because when you read this passage, he says, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Don't forget sower. Where does that seed first come from? That sower did not create his seed, did he? That sower did not make her own seed. That sower has to receive seed. And so think about it this way. God is actually at the very top. And he pours abundant blessings upon you. Now you as the farmer have a choice. You've got abundant blessings. You've got things from God. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to sow with what God has given you reluctantly, sparingly? Seeking to keep back as much as you can, that's what it means to spare. If I ask you to spare my life, I'm asking you, can I keep it? So when he says, when you sow sparingly, what you're asking is, can I keep it? But when you sow sparingly, he says, you reap sparingly. But when you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. And he says, when we sow out of abundance... There comes a return, and there's two kinds of return. The first one is that gratitude from your giving flows back to God. Verse 11 says, "When you sow generously, when you share generously, there's a great amount of gratitude that flows back to God." But the second thing he says is your harvest increases. Look down at verse 10. He says he will supply a multi, he will multiply your seed for sowing, and he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched. You will abound in grace. You will have everything that you could ever need to participate in the generous life that God wants you to live. No, God does not promise millions upon millions so you can indulge in the desires of your wants. That's not what he promises. But for a heart that aligns with the greatness of God's wonderful mercy, for someone that aligns with that, And says, I want to participate in the joy of giving. God says, I will bring abundance upon you. And I will enrich you to be the most generous giver you could ever be. And when you do that, he says, you will have a harvest of righteousness. Now, in that model, the risk actually belongs to God, doesn't it? He's the one that gives the seed. The risk is all God's. But the reward is all yours. And that's the essence of the gospel. That the risk is all God's. That he said while we were still sinners, Christ came to die for the ungodly, not the godly. That while we were lost and and afraid, that we were gone and seeking our own way, God came in the form of Jesus and said, I'll demonstrate my love for you. I'll come for you. I'll show you that you're mine and I'll invest in you and I'll supply you with everything you need before you're responsible, before I can trust you, to show you. That'll never, ever stop supplying. And when you see that risk that God took and the great reward that you have because of what he was willing to do for you, it brings you into a line with what's true about this life. You see, I think sometimes if you picture if I had this long ro- rope, a friend of mine sent me this uh, video this week from Francis Chan's preacher uh, in San Francisco has this long white rope and it goes if you can picture from one wall to the other a white rope and that's like eternity and on one tip of the rope there's a little red spot and he said that red spot represents your life but that white rope represents eternity and sometimes we live thinking that all that matters is to have as much as we possibly can in just that little red spot and not think about the whole rope you see the way we live now The way we invest now, the way we're generous now, shapes how we live for eternity. Will you wake up, believer in Christ, to the reality that eternal things matter most? That indulging in the pleasures of this life don't actually bring you the things that you really want. But actually investing into significance, into eternity, brings you the kind of joy and the kind of peace that you've always looked for. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ invested into, your eternity, so that you can be His. And if that's something that you need, if you need to be recalibrated to his love, we're going to sing this song. We're available now. We're available always. Let's stand and sing.